be easy to take our daily routine for granted. Every day, going through the motions, at some point in time, at the end of our lives, we begin to ask ourselves, what did my life add up to? What did I live for? Who will remember me? What will they say about me when I'm gone? This is your wake-up call. Welcome to week two of Wake Up Call. I want to welcome everybody who's here in the room. I also want to welcome everybody who's watching us on TV and on the stream. Let's welcome everybody. We're glad that you're a part. Thanks for making Sagebrush your home, church. Thanks for giving some time here where we can worship our Lord and Savior Jesus together. All right, let's get into it. One of the strangest houses that's ever been in the United States of America is a house called the Winchester House. Maybe you've seen this house. Maybe you've gotten the opportunity to tour this house. Mrs. Winchester when her husband and her son passed away, for reasons lost to history, some reason turned to the occult. And she had this strange belief that as long as she built her house, that death wouldn't find her. The house that she built is massive, it's huge. For 38 years, she hired 16 different carpenters who worked all the way around the clock building onto her house. There are staircases that lead to nowhere. There are doors that open up to brick walls. Uh, there are over 2,000 doors in the Winchester house, over 10,000 windows in the Winchester house. And she built all of it in an effort to confuse death. She was still building the day that death came, and death wasn't confused at all. Death is coming, my friend. <laughs> the dumbest things we do around here, I tell you what. There's little kids going, oh my goodness, this isn't like a normal church. I tell you, this is scary right here. We don't want to talk about death. You go, oh, come on, Todd, are we talking about death again? We talked about death last week. I don't want to talk about death. I want to talk about life. Everybody wants to talk about life. Dave Crowder had a song, came out years ago. It says, everybody wants to die. Uh, no, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. That's the truth, isn't it? Everybody does want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But every once in a while, we get a shot to the ticker, don't we? Every once in a while, we get a wake-up call, you know, that our lives are coming to an end. A few years ago, I turned the big 5-0. I turned 50. I know I look 20, but I turned 50. All right, I did. I turned 50. Do you know what the benefit is of turning 50? I'd like to know, because I haven't figured that out myself. If you could somehow tell, tell me what the benefit of turning 50 is. I don't know what the benefit is at all. I know one of the things I got to do when I turned 50 is I got a colonoscopy. <sighs> Now, if you are over the age of 50 and you have put off your colonoscopy, please, please, please uh, listen to your pastor. Get your colonoscopy taken care of. Get yourself checked out. I know it's humiliating procedure. I know that. I've been through it myself. But don't put it off your life. And what God has for you for the rest of your life might be right on the very brink if you don't get that colonoscopy. So make sure you get that colonoscopy. Well, it was quite an experience to get ready for it. 
uh, turned 50, so my wife said, you get a colonoscopy this year. And I said, yay. And so we called the doctor, set up the appointment. And, and in the mail, they, they sent me what I was going to take. Uh, they gave me four laxatives. You take four laxatives for the colonoscopy. And then they have a 64-ounce bottle that I called a, a death by a liquid right there. It was just a death bottle was what it was. And you had to drink all of that. And then you st- kind of stick around your house for the day. Because... Uh, you don't want to be making a quick run to Target. You know what I'm talking about? Because when it hits, you've got to go. You understand what I'm saying? And so you hang around your house, and a couple hours goes by, and then all of a sudden it starts, you know, and, and, and it doesn't stop. It just keeps coming and coming and coming for the 10 hours. 10 hours. For 10 hours, I made sounds no man should ever make. I'm just telling you that right now. For 10 hours, 10 hours, my legs went numb, just went absolutely numb. For 10 hours, I lost five pounds in just... 10 hours. It was, it was quite, quite, quite the experience. Well, and the next day I, I got up and, I, and I, I got ready to go to the doctor to get the procedure taken care of. And I just had one little prayer. God and I, we have a great sense of humor with each other. And I said, God, if you could just do me one favor. Just do me one favor. When I get to the place where I got to have the colonoscopy, let there be no sagebrushers there. That's all I asked for. That's all I ask for, Lord. I mean, no, you're good, God. You're a gracious God. You're a merciful God. Please. I'm going to be in an awkward position, backless gown. Come on, help a brother out, God. Please, no sagebrushers. That's all I ask. And so I went into the receptionist area, and there were two nice ladies there, the receptionists, and they were very kind, and neither one of them went to sagebrush. And I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> then I got my pre-op nurse. I went back, and, and, and I got the IV and all that stuff, got the backless gown on, and, and, and she didn't know who I was either. And I said, oh, you're so good. Two minutes before they bring me back for my procedure, the curtain opens up, and two ladies are standing there smiling at me from one ear to the other. They said, we go to your church. (laughs) That's great. And one of them said, I'm sitting in on your procedure. Oh, wonderful. I am so excited for you. Now, what I didn't know was my wife had been praying that we would have someone from Sagebrush there (laughs) because she feels like I get better treatment when a Sagebrusher is around. I think I get good treatment from anybody. I think the Lord knows I get good treatment from anybody. So she was relieved. I was excited. Yay. And the two ladies, they were as sweet as they could be, and they were just as nice as they could be, and they took incredible care of me, and uh, so I got the procedure done, and I was clean as a whistle, clean as a whistle, and there was no polyps, there was no problem, I was a little concerned about that, because my father-in-law, he did not get a colonoscopy, he refused, and he kept putting it off, and putting it off, and then one day, he had severe pains in his abdomen, and then he went and got a colonoscopy, and it was too late, the cancer had spread too far, and he died as a result, You, you see, life Life is but a mist, isn't it? That's what the book of James says. It says you're here today and then you're gone tomorrow. Let me give you another analogy about how brief our life is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul refers to our bodies as tents. He says, now we know that this, if this early tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So God says that our body is like a tent. So let's bring out a tent. If we could, guys, bring me out a brand new 
tent. All right, you ever had a tent? Tents are nice. You go camping in a tent. We got ourselves a brand new tent. This is how you come out of your mother's womb, brand new. You know what I mean? And the tent looks solid, looks strong, looks like that tent's going to last forever. It came against any kind of breeze that came out. Look how clean that tent is. Got brand new stakes, brand new ropes, brand new zippers. I bet it's warm inside that tent. I bet it smells good good inside that tent, don't you think? Kind of like a newborn baby smell. You know what I'm talking about? That is a good-looking tent. Now, our bodies, Paul says, are like a tent. So you know if you go camping from time to time, what happens to your tent when you keep bringing your tent out to go camping? Let's bring out the other tent, if you would, so we can kind of show what kind of happens to our lives along the way. So... uh, This is your body around the age of 30, okay? Because the peak is 25. You know that, right? Unless you're a professional athlete. It's downhill after you're 25. You smug little people looking at me right now, you're going downhill after 25. I'm just telling you that right now. So you go out and you take your body out there and you're doing all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, your tent, it just, it doesn't look as strong anymore. And the wind, you know, you get to be wobbling a little bit. Maybe you need a little help to get from point A over to point B. And then stuff starts growing on your tent. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, mold and fungus starts growing on your tent. And you're like, oh, my goodness, look at my tent. It's not even close to what I had back in the day. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because your back goes out more than you do. You know what I'm talking about right now? You understand what I'm saying? You got hair falling out where you want to keep it. And then you got hair boldly growing where no hair has grown. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You could take the tents, guys. I don't know where you went, but you can take the tents. But that's what Paul's analogy is. Isn't that the way that life works? Our bodies, they just slowly but surely they, they break down. I like the way one author put it. He said, as soon as I wake up, willpower helps me get out of bed. His name was willpower. Then I go see John. It's the next place I go. Then Charlie Horse comes along, and when he's here, he takes a lot of my time and attention. When he leaves, Arthur Ritus shows up and stays for the rest of the day. He doesn't like to stay in one place for very long, so he takes me from joint to joint everywhere. What a life that we have. Tent doesn't last forever. Here today... Gone tomorrow. So we ought to be wise about what we're living our life for. Because life is but a mist. It's blink of an eye. And Ten years has gone by. And then before you know it, 20 and then 30. And then your life has gone by. It should make a person pause for a second. And ask themselves, what am I really giving my life to? What is the purpose of this life? And what's worth giving my life to? You know, Jesus was asked that question one day. He was asked the question, what's the most important thing that a person could ever give their life to? A teacher of the law came up to him. Mark writes about it. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Through the years, the, the Jewish teachers had come up with over 600 commandments that would show how godly you are. Now, the reason God allowed those commandments to come into play was he wanted to show us just how sinful we are and what a great need we have for a Savior. 
Because as I said last week, none of us is good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We don't get to heaven based on our goodness. We get to heaven based upon the goodness of Jesus. And so they come up and they ask the question. They say, hey, man, when you boil out all these 600 and some odd commandments, that's a lot of commandments. If you boil it down to just the essential ones, they talked about this all the time in the first century. If you boil it down to just the essential commandments, what would you say they are? How do we know, Jesus, when we get to the end of our life that we did life well? Jesus didn't hesitate. He didn't take any time to ride on the ground. He didn't say, oh, I'll get back to you on that. Let me give that one some thought. Jesus immediately gave his answer. This is what he said. The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, all right, you, you want to know if you're doing life well? It's really quite simple. When you put your head on your pillow tonight, if you can put your head on your pillow knowing that you love God a little bit more than you did this morning, and you love your fellow man a little bit more than you did this morning, then you're on the right track to doing life well. Because when you boil it all down, it's not about your 401k, it's not about your car, it's not about your house, not about making a name for yourself. It's all about loving God, and it's about loving others. So if life is but a mist, here today and gone tomorrow, we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we living our life according to the things that Jesus says are worth giving our time and attention to? Do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Now, there's no way I can hit both commandments in one talk. So next week, we're going to see how we're doing loving our neighbor. We're going to talk about how are we really loving our neighbor the way Jesus is called. Because we don't want to get to the end of our life and say, you know what? I kind of blew it there. I was kind of a jerk. I didn't really trust anybody. Didn't let anybody into my life. We'll talk about that next week. So this week, I want us to focus on what does it mean to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You ready? We're going to do a little test. I'm going to give you a three-part test. These are three things that I think are indicative of someone who's fallen in love with someone. I know there's more than just three things, but I also know you're not going to give me the time to do more than three. So I'm just going to do three, all right? If you're really in love with someone, write this down. The first thing is, is it will occupy your waking thoughts. If you're really in love with someone, it will occupy your waking thoughts. Thoughts. Think about this, all the husbands and wives. If you're really in love with your spouse, you think about them all the time, don't you? I mean, they're always on your mind. Some of you are in this room right now, you're dating somebody. Good for you. And you think about them all the time. I wonder what they're doing right now. You send them a little text. You pick up the phone. You FaceTime. You lucky dogs. We didn't have FaceTime back in my day. And you FaceTime. What are you doing? It's good to see. I'm just thinking about you. Husbands and wives, same way. All day long. Wonder what she's doing. Wonder where she's going. Wonder how her day's going for her, right? Always on your mind. Here's the question. Is God always on your mind? As you go about your day, do you think about God? Do you think about his love? Think about his grace. Think about his mercy. Think about his forgiveness. Think about how good he's been to you. He's just always on your mind. You just want to live to please him. You just want to honor him in everything you say and everything you do. You've always got Jesus on your mind. Is that, does that describe you? Or do you somehow have the ability to go days, even a week, between church services? And you never really think about him. You never really talk to him. 
He's never really on your mind. I would say that would be indicative of someone who doesn't truly love Jesus with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and with all their strength. Let me give you a second one. If you really fall in love with somebody, it will impact the majority of your decisions. Right? When you marry, you get married, you become one, don't you? And you start making decisions together. Every time I do premarital, I mean, I just beat it into that couple. I say, listen, the two become one. It's two me's that become a we. You become one in name, one in aim, one in purpose. You don't know where one ends and the other begins. That's what it is. It's becoming one. A man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. They no longer make decisions in isolation of the other person. They consult with each other. They talk to each other. They get the opinion of the other person, and they get themselves on the same page. So they're doing the things that both of them agree to do. You get yourself in trouble, friends, when you pull up in the driveway with the truck that you didn't talk to your wife about before you bought it. Please tell me there's no one in this room that's done that. Or your husband walks through the door and there's brand new living room furniture. He's like, what in the world is this? Well, I just had a whim and I thought I'd go out and get some. I didn't like the old furniture. And you just go out and get it yourself. No, 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 no. That's a dysfunctional relationship. The two become one. You discuss everything. You talk about everything. You want to be on the same page. It's the same way in your relationship with the Lord. From this day forward, the decisions that you make are the decisions he would have you to make. But understand, there's a difference between the married relationship and your relationship with Jesus. You're not going there for Jesus' opinion. You're going there for Jesus' good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're saying, Jesus, I want to be in the center of where you're at. I want to be in the center of what you want me to do. So what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to spend this money? What do you want me to sacrifice? Because all I want at the end of the day is to be in the center of your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because that's the sweet spot of life. So i got to ask you a question. If you really love God, are you consulting him? Are you listening to him? Are you following him? Are you doing the things that he would call you to do? Or are you still calling the shots? If you don't think about it, you're probably not thinking about the decisions you have to make. You're still doing whatever you want, whenever you want it, however you want it, with whoever you want to do it with. You say you know Jesus, but he has no impact in your day-to-day life. I would say that you don't love him. Because if you really love him, you would want what he wants. And you would consult him, and you would follow him, and he would lead you wherever he wants you to go. Let me give you the third thing. When you fall in love with someone, it rearranges your priorities. My goodness, when when you fall in love with someone, everything changes, doesn't it? It's no longer about your needs. It's about what you can do for the other person. I've been married now for a long, long time, uh, 27 years. 27 years I've been married. Hopefully, if I stay good, I'll be 28 years soon, all right? That'll be a good thing. Um, I I do things now that I I, I would never have done if I was a single guy. Like, I I go to Hobby Lobby. (laughs) Some of you have seen me at the Hobby Lobby. When you see me walk through the doors, you're like, (laughs) there's Pastor Todd at the Hobby Lobby. Todd, say Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby. <laughs> but lately, my wife doesn't want to go to the Hobby Lobby. I, I have graduated from the Hobby Lobby. I don't go to the Hobby Lobby anymore. She said, I don't want to go to the Hobby Lobby anymore. I said, okay, well, where would you like to go? She said, Home Goods. <laughs> Ladies, have you heard of this store, Home Goods? 
Oh. Yeah, yeah. I feel sorry for your husband. Those of you are clapping right now. I really feel like that. Because I bet you've drug him in there too. You know what happens when a man walks into a hubby or walks into a home goods? He loses his oxygen is what happens. It's like life is sucked out of him. It's a vortex for a man when you walk. You see every man. Like, it's like he's gasping for air. You're like, they should have oxygen tanks for every husband. And when you walk, here you go, sir. You can have an oxygen tank for yourself. Because there's nothing to do. There's nothing to see for a man in the hubby lobby or at the home goods store. So why do I go? Because it's not about me. It's about we. When she drives around on my days off and we, we go do a little errands that we have to do, my wife likes, pray for my wife. She likes country music, okay? And so she starts, you hate me, don't you? You're clapping over there and you just hate me because I have to listen to country She starts playing country music. And I'm like, I really don't enjoy country music. I think country music is not my forte of what I like. And I like to change the channel to something else. And we've had that discussion, but... She likes country music. <laughs> so we listen to country music. <laughs> why, why don't I just rip the station or kick the dashboard and just make it? Because it's not about me. It's about we. <laughs> now, that, now that I'm 55, my wife wants to shove down salad down me all the time. <laughs> she loves salad. Here, small. Have some salad. Have some salad. Are you having salad? Eat some salad. You know, I found out the other day that there are some salads that are so high in calories that there's more calories in a salad than there is a steak. That messed me up for quite some time when I found that out. Why, why, do, I, why do I eat salad all the time? Because my wife makes me. It's not about me. It's about we. Why are, why are you on this earth? For you? Is it about you? No, when you give your life over to Jesus, it's no longer about you. It's about him. It's no longer about making your name great. It's about making his name great. You've you got to get that. It's no longer about the almighty dollar. It's about the almighty God. It's no longer about satisfying your sinful desires. It's about seeking him with everything that you've got. So I've got to ask you a question. Based on those three things, do you love God? Do you love him? Do you want to serve him? Do you want to follow him? And and look, at but Jesus, when he says this, it includes every aspect of our life, doesn't it? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's that mean? That means your emotions. You love him with all of your emotions, the way that you feel inside. Even with the bad emotions, you love him with all of that. You share that with him with all of that. You love him with all your heart, then with all your mind. That's your intellect. It's the way that you think. It's your thoughts. You capture every thought, and you make it obedient to Jesus. And you love him with all your soul. What's that mean? It means how you decide. It's no longer you calling the shots, no longer you making decisions. It's him leading you and guiding you from that day forward. That's what it means to love him with all your soul. And to love him with all your strength. That's what you do. That's what you do. It's every word, it's every deed. It's using the gifts and time and talent and resources for the things of God and for the kingdom of God. And when you put your head on the pillow at night, you'll know you're doing life well because you're doing it for him. It's no longer about you. 
You have this constant prayer. Oh God, less of me. More of you. Less of me. More of you. So i got to ask you again. Do you love him? Because I don't think a lot of people really do. I think a lot of people have, have held back their love. They don't love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind. All, no, they miss partial. Because they don't trust God. They're not sure that God has their best interest in heart. They're not sure what God would really do with their life. I mean, if they really surrendered every aspect of their life, if they really released their will to his will, if they really followed him, they're a little bit freaked out about it. They're like, I don't know where he's going to lead me. I don't know where he's going to take me. And so as a result, we hold on to things. And the bummer is, is that everything that we hold on to, those are the areas of our life that get screwed up. You're like, I trust you with this, but I'm not going to trust you with dating. I'm going to trust you with this, but I'm not going to trust you with my finances. And those are the areas that get screwed up the most, right? Whatever we hold back from him, because we question his love. We doubt his love. Maybe you've heard the name Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen Curtis Chapman is a Dove Award-winning, Grammy Award-winning singer. He's toured the country, toured the world several times over. Phenomenal singer. I would encourage you to buy any of his music. It's good, good stuff. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife have six kids. Three they have from birth, and three they have from adoption. And the three girls that they adopted are all from China. Years ago... Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman's son, who was 17 years old at the time, his name was Will Franklin, came home early from work. Stephen lives out in the middle of a farm in the middle of nowhere. And so Will was driving to get to the house, and uh, one of his sisters, one of the girls they had adopted from China, saw him coming. And she was so excited that she ran outside to meet him. But he wasn't paying attention. And he ran over that little girl. And he got out of the car, realizing what he had done. And he began to scream. He immediately went into shock. The ruckus outside carried to the inside. Stephen heard it. His wife heard it. The rest of the kids heard it. And they all came running to see what in the world had happened. And they found their daughter on the ground, barely able to breathe. And their son beside himself. The poor kid, 17 years old, starts running away because he doesn't know how to function, doesn't know how to deal with it. And his older brother starts to chase him down. And he catches him and throws him to the ground and gets on top of him. And now they're fighting because he's just out of his mind. He just, he's just freaking out. And so he grabs him by his arms, holds his arms behind him, and hugs him. He prays over him. He tries to calm him down. And after a few moments, he's able to do it. They get up. They begin to walk back towards the farm. Now imagine. Imagine the scene. You're probably going to lose one child. And you look off in the distance at a child whose life will be forever altered with grief and shame and hurt. They had to get the little girl to the hospital. So they got into the car and they began to drive away. Stephen Curtis Chapman on Larry King Live and Good Morning America talked about what happened at that moment in time. He said, as we started to pull out and speed to the hospital, I saw my son Will so distraught and upset, so I leaned out the window and I yelled, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Because at that moment, I was pretty certain that I was going to lose one of my children, and I didn't want to lose two that day. 
While Stephen reminded Will of the love of his earthly father, let me remind you of the love that your heavenly father has for you. You see, you keep holding back from him. You don't trust him. There's areas of your life that you won't give him the control of because you aren't sure about his love. He loves you in spite of you. In spite of every mistake you've ever made, of every rebellious thought you've ever had, rebellious action, in light of every tragedy that you've faced, he has loved you and he's wanted to carry you and he's wanted to help you every step of every single moment of your life. He loves you with a never-ending love. His love for you is so high and so wide and so deep and so long that you'll never be able to understand it and you'll never be able to fathom it. You say, Todd, how in the world, how in the world can I know that God loves me that much? Listen, this is the easiest way to remember. Just look to the cross. He loved you so much that he gave his son. John three sixteen. for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him, trusts in him, clings to him, shall never perish but have eternal life. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. He came to rescue you. He saw you in a world that was unfair, a world that was messed up. He saw you with your hurt. He saw you with a sin debt that was so great you could never pay for it yourself. And so he came and he walked our earth and he lived a sinless life and he dies on a cross and all of our sin and all of our shame was placed upon him. Look to him when you doubt the love of God. Because that's Jesus shouting from the cross, your heavenly father loves you this much. John, your father loves you this much. Jeremy, your father loves you this much. Andrew, your father loves you this much. Jennifer, your father loves you this much. Nikki, your father loves you this much. And when you understand it, when you understand what he went through, what he sacrificed, how he rose again, how he's preparing a place for you in heaven, you won't hold anything back from him. Because nobody, I promise you, has ever loved you like he's loved you. How many people have laid down their life for you? How many people want to spend forever with you? My wife wants to spend forever with me. She's the only one I know. Even my kids want to leave. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you love him? Because falling in love with him, that's where the peace that passes all understanding comes. Falling in love with him brings hope in a hopeless situation. Falling in love with him gives you perspective when you don't have any perspective. Do you love him? Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest thing a person can give their life to? Notice he didn't say their 401K. He didn't say their career. He didn't say their family. Why? Because the things that matter and the things that last is loving God. And then everything else falls into place after that. I've been a preacher for a long time. 
and I have either attended a bunch of funerals or I have done a bunch of funerals. You, you ever go to a funeral and they get up there and they talk about the person's life and uh, you're just kind of like, that's it? You ever, you ever been there? I, I have this table over here of, of just some things that I've heard over the course of time and all the funerals that I've done and the funerals that I've attended. This, I hear this one an awful lot. And he really loved to golf. I mean, he loved to golf. He even had one of those golf things in his, in his garage where he could you know, swing away and he could check his swing and his velocity. And man, he loved to golf. He'd golf all the time. He could golf every day of his life if he could. He just loved golf so much. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell me anything else about him? He liked to fish too. He liked to golf. He liked to fish. Oh, he loved fishing. He's a big fisherman. Got a bunch of lures over there. Love. There's some pictures right over here of the fish that he caught. He loved to fish. Oh, that's great. You got anything else to share about him? Many times I'll, I'll, I'll go to someone's house, and staff will go to someone's house, and we'll say, listen, we never got the chance to meet your loved one. Don't know anything about them. T- tell me a little bit about them. So we'll have something to say, have some substance. Well, they... Enjoyed cooking. They loved to cook. They loved to cook for the family. Like to get the whole family together. Just cook, cook, cook. Cooked up the storm. Had a smile light up a room. Oh, <laughs> he loved video games. Oh, he loved video games. He'd play all night long if he could. He just love playing them video games. Okay, video games. That's nice. Oh, and she, she, she loved plants. She loved her plants. She loved, she loved, took care of her plants, watered her plants, talked to her plants all the time. She, she loved her plants. Oh, Pinterest. Oh, my goodness. She was on Pinterest all the time. I can show you some boards. I mean, they're incredible. She was a pen and machine. That's what she was. Well, this is another one I hear quite a bit. Uh, it was a Dallas Cowboy fan. Yeah. yeah. Knew all the stats. Knew all the players' names. He would get mad when they lost. Come to think of it, he was mad an awful lot. (laughs) That's it? Anything else you can tell me about them? Tell me about their love for God. Well, they went to church occasionally. How do they advance the kingdom of God? Silence. Tell me some people's lives that they impacted for the things of God. And I just walk away, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I just think, what? That was it? What, what a waste. I want you to imagine for just a second that uh, you've died. And I'm coming over to your house, and I say, hey, tell me, tell me about your loved one. Tell me about how they lived their life. What did they give their life to? I didn't ever get the chance to meet them. What would they say about you? Well, you had a great coin collection. She liked chocolate an awful lot. Big fan of chocolate. Want some chocolate? We're going to have chocolate at the funeral. I've had that. So the greatest thing you can tell me is they love chocolate?
What do you want him to say? Can I give you a little advice? Whatever it is that you want him to say, why don't you start living for that? Why don't you start making that the priority of your life? Psalm 14, verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there's any who understand, any who seek God. God searches for anyone who really wants to love him. So let me ask you again, if the greatest thing you can do with your life is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, do you love him? Comes a point in time when every person's got to figure out what's worth living for, what's worth dying for. You're but a mist. Maybe today is your wake-up call. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, help us live a life of substance. My goodness. When people come to share about our life and the difference that we've made, may they have something of substance. Something more than a favorite football team or a golf club or a fishing pole or a Pinterest board. God, may we leverage our lives for you. May you stretch us to get out of our life of boredom and start doing something that matters, something that lasts, something that will have an eternal impact. Help us to remember that life is brief and that this isn't something we can put off tomorrow or next week or next month, that we need to get after this today. And Lord, I pray for friends in this room and watching me at home. I, I, I pray for those who have not just, they just don't trust you. They still have walls up when it comes to areas of their life. They have things that they're just not going to give over to you. and They just don't love you because they don't know you. They don't know how good you are and how you can transform a person's life to being a person of impact. God, I pray today they would just say to you, less of me, more of you. I'm tired of saying that I have a form of godliness, but I deny its power. Here's my life. Lead me, guide me from this day forward. Oh, God, please. We've got to stop living our life with one foot in and one foot out. We have to become wholehearted, fully devoted to you. And Lord, that happens by falling in love with you. Please, God, may this be our wake-up call. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.